I'm really optimistic about this thing. I really hope it does get passed on almost like a, you know, a Willy Wonka golden ticket or something. Like there are only a few in the world and you've got one. And you've got one. And I've got one. Yeah. So I was very excited about that. Hey, I'm Michael Ogden and this is 2269, a podcast about the bigger picture because life is short, but history is long. In every episode of 2269, we travel with our guests to the past, the present, and the distant future to the date June 6th, 2269. Thanks for joining us as we cover 250 years in the next 30 minutes. Today's episode is called Better Days Are Ahead. Thank you for listening. And thanks for your messages about the podcast. It's great to know you're out there. You can always reach us at the email address team at 2269.co. And if you don't have an invitation to the greatest party of all time yet, but would like one, just visit us at 2269.co and be part of this epic story. If you do have an invitation, thank you for putting it up, keeping it up, and passing it on. In any case, I hope you're doing okay out there. Our guest this episode is Claire Bullen, a U.S.-born, London-based writer, editor, self-taught cook, and craft beer expert. Claire is the author of Beer Lover's Table, Seasonal Recipes and Modern Beer Pairings. She writes the popular Beer Lover's Table blog for Hot Burns and Black and is the editor-in-chief at goodbeerhunting.com, a global authority on craft beer. Claire has written for The Daily Meal and Time Out New York and is a contributing author to Craft Beer, 365 Best Beers in the World. I'm really happy to have Claire here. Claire, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Are you ready for a little road trip? Oh, I'd love to. I haven't gone anywhere in about nine months, so that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. We've kind of been all been stuck in our living rooms. And now, via a, a makeshift homemade time machine, you and I are going to be traveling way beyond our respective living rooms. That sounds great to me. As we travel on the road trip, and we're going to the greatest party of all time, of course, that's on the other end. So if you've got music you want to bring, things you want to last, things that you feel like will stand the test of time favorite books or whatever it might be, there's a little, there's enough room in the time machine to accommodate those favorite items that you want to pass on down. Sound good? That's great. That sounds great. I have lots of things I can bring with me then. Perfect. All right. So there is some urgency here, Claire, because the party itself starts at noon. Oh um, man. On June 6, 2269. Yeah. So uh, what I recommend is that we get started, jump in the time machine. So I'm going to open up the doors. Claire, that's your chair there on the left. You got the the guest chair, it's a little bit more comfortable. I'll Make scoot on over. Home. Yep. There we are. Okay. Settled in. Perfect. Okay. I'm going to climb in and you've got your stuff that you want to bring with you. Yep. Got my backpack cool. right here full of all my stuff. <laughs> okay. Good. Good. So we know the date we're going to June 6, 2269 for the greatest party of all time. Now we can go anywhere in the world on that day. Is there a place that you love that you'd like to visit in the future? A place that you Dearly hope survives the next 250 years. What's that place? Oh man, I think I have to say New York City. It's probably an obvious one, but it's one of my favorite places in the whole world. And I guess New York's a city that's sort of at risk with rising waters and and climate change, but it's also it's got this indomitable spirit. So I have to believe that New York is going to still exist and be as exciting and thriving and thrilling as it is today, but probably in a different way. So I would love to go to New York City in 2269. I love that choice. Okay, we're heading to New York City in June 6, 2269. The way the time machine works is we slingshot back to the decade that you were born. Oh, boy. Okay. 
what decade was that? The 1980s. Okay. So we're going to pop in 1980s, and I'm going to put in also, you selected New York um, as our destination. Slingshotting back through the 1980s and then forward to 2269. Feel that centrifugal force, Claire. Whoa! Whoa. <laughs> One not ideal thing about me is I do get car sick very easily, so this is a bit of a bumpy <laughs> ride here. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple six bags. Uh, I'm prepared for this, <laughs> So, all right, Claire, things are starting to stabilize. We're starting to get altitude on the time machine, Claire. Things are starting to settle down. If you look out the window, you'll notice that we're passing through time and specifically through the decade that you were born in. What do you see as we look out the window? So we lived in a, in a house when I was a baby. So I can picture that. It's in the Chicago suburbs. It's got a you know big lawn out front, another garden out back. Got a big crab apple tree in the front with big pink blossoms every spring. Mm-hmm. Kind of a quiet cul-de-sac. Pretty, pretty nice. Now we're passing through the, we, the 1990s. What do you remember about the 1990s? Well, I lived in Chicago for, or just outside of Chicago at that house for the majority of the decade. My younger brother was born in 1992. So that was probably one of the most exciting things to happen. And then when I was nine years old, towards the end of the decade, we actually, I had my first ever road trip. We drove from Chicago all the way over to California. And then we, we moved there. I remember I was only nine. So some things are hazy, but I very clearly remember leaving at night and driving through Iowa and looking up and seeing more stars than I'd ever seen in my entire life. The entire sky was full of stars. You know, we were probably in the middle of cornfields and not much else around. There wasn't much light pollution. So that was something I had never in my life seen before. And that one memory really sticks with me. Okay. So the 2000s, what, what was that for you? The 2000s was actually another cross-country move. So after California, we moved to uh, a suburb just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I did middle and high school there. And then in I graduated high school in 2007 and then moved to New York City uh, to go to university. So I guess every decade has its sort of big moves. When you moved to New York in 2007, were you, were you a driven person? What drew you there? I was very driven. I had not, the first time I went to New York, I think I was 14. When I was an early teenager, 13, 14, I had just started getting into music that I'd discovered by myself. So Mm -hmm. I started listening to the Strokes and the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's Mm -hmm. and the Walkmen Mm -hmm. and Interpol and Mm -hmm. all the, all Mm -hmm. the New York bands that were coming up in that, I think we, they call it the New York rock revolution now. So I I was, as a young, snotty teenager, I'd really found something that resonated with me in this, in this new scene. And New York, to me, seemed like the coolest place in the entire world at that point. I just remember that first trip being absolutely starry-eyed. And as soon as I got out of the taxi, I just remember feeling so deeply, you know, yes, this is the place. This is right. Really felt everything that I wanted. 
So after that trip, I knew that I had to to go back to New York. I hated living in the suburbs. I hated, you know, feeling so far away from culture and excitement. When you arrived in New York, did you know you wanted to be a writer at that time? I, I think so. I think I actually wanted to be an artist at that point. The two subjects I always liked in school were English and art. But for, yeah, for a long time, I thought I'd be studying visual arts. But the writing and, and the literature was there from pretty early on, I'd say. So we're zipping by. So we're now heading towards the 2010s. What was that for you, Claire? 2010s, I graduated in 2011. So the decade kicks off with me still in New York, still kind of finding my way after school ends. My first job right out of school was working as a cheesemonger at Dean and DeLuca. It really fed my love of, of food, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, food is one mm-hmm. of the main, my main subjects that I write about today. And that was a great education in cheese specifically, but also just mm-hmm. being a around everything. The latter part of the 2010s for me was defined by moving to London. My best friend who I met being a cheesemonger with moved to London and then I followed her basically. And then settling into London life was really, has been the defining aspect of this decade, I'd say. Did you deliberate that? Are you someone who like makes impulsive choices or was it something that you thought about for a while, like before moving to London? It was very impulsive, but and I'm normally I'm someone who is quite uptight and I like to plan ahead and be very organized and have some sense of what the next few years will hold for me, some kind of vision. But this this was a rare instance of being almost kind of off the cuff with it. So it was very out of character, actually. So that was the 2010s. What does it look like when you look ahead? Oh, man. This year has been the best of times and the worst of times. So the best of times is that I had a new relationship with my partner, Gareth. And, you know, the the odds and ends of the pandemic have meant that we have we ended up living together way earlier than we ever would have expected. And there was sort of the it hits the fast forward button on your relationship a little bit. So we've actually moved into our own place. We've been able to decorate and really make it feel like our own home. So. I, I have longed for that kind of thing for a long time. So to have that mm-hmm. that dream, I guess, fulfilled of mm-hmm. having mm-hmm. your own place and building your own home with a partner has been really fantastic. But obviously, the flip side is most of everything else about 2020 has been horrible, and I don't I don't have to tell you why. But I did I did come down with COVID very early on in the pandemic, and luckily it was. It was a relatively mild case. I felt really crappy for a couple of weeks, but it never felt dangerous or, you know, I was never worried. Imagine your family was worried. They were very worried. Luckily, Gareth was living with me at that point. And that's kind of, you know, when I knew he was a good egg because he really made sure I was okay. As you look forward in this, the rest of this decade, as we kind of look out, are you feeling optimistic, pessimistic? How are you feeling about the, the next decade? I think having this year, this kind of lost year that we've all experienced has made a lot of people recalibrate and think about the things that are important to them and examine the routines they'd fallen into with a new, fresh, critical inquiry. So in a way, I'm actually kind of optimistic. I hope that what comes out of this is maybe we're all a bit more intentional and mindful about the way that we live and the way we spend our time. I hope we do make more room instead of letting work just 
bleed into every aspect of our life. Maybe we'll be more protective of our rest and our leisure time and our creative projects. That's what I hope for myself anyway. In the next few years, I'd love to access that creativity again and really put more into my own creative writing work. And I hope that, that yeah, as things start getting back to normal, we'll see our lives and our cities and our routines, both returning to a baseline, but also maybe hopefully an improved baseline. I hope we can all be a bit kinder to each other and think more about those things that we really value. That's, that's the optimistic read. It could go the other way, but you know, fingers crossed. All right, Claire. So, so we're leaving the 2020s. We're feeling a little bit optimistic about people uh, working together, looking after each other. And as we continue towards 2269, we're making good time, by the way, if you're worried about uh, if we're going to make the party on time at noon. That sounds good. I've never been someone who likes arriving fashionably late. I'm very timely. Great. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're now, you know, over a century away, we're speeding into the future. More than likely, you know, you and I will at this point are are no more. We are returned to the earth. (laughs) We are returned to the earth. Yeah, we are now dust. But in this time machine, we're safe. But we're over 100 years past that time. Do you think 100 years from now, people are going to remember the pandemic? Oh, I think in this moment that we're in right now where everything feels so huge and fraught and intense, we we think this will last forever. But I think, I think, no, I think within a few decades, we'll forget most of it. You know, we're almost a, a century ahead of the Spanish flu in 1918, 1919. And I don't think we all sort of know that maybe we study that in school as a brief addendum to World War One. We don't really, I had no tangible sense of what that would feel like or be like to live through you know it was like a footnote in history at that point so i have to i have to believe that 2020's pandemic will be the same so i want to talk about like as we're heading to the the big party uh, i'd be curious to know what kinds of things you think will last do you have anything in your bag I've, i've got a little grab bag of things actually in terms of whether i think they will last i i I don't think I can ever place myself in that position of exteriority to truly know. But but for me, these are some of my favorite cultural entities, I guess. So I can only hope that they will survive. That's that's Perfect. the spirit I'll come I'll come with. Yeah. So, well, I've got a few records from that New York rock revolution era that I'm bringing with me. I've got the Strokes first album, Is This It? There was a there's a compilation album that came out in 2001 called Yes, New York, that I think has mostly disappeared from, you know, I haven't seen it in any music shops, but it's basically a compilation of all those artists on one disc. And it's one of those records that has changed my life. So I'm going to bring that with me. More, more recently, two of my favorite artists are Andrew Bird and St. Vincent. They both do pretty different things, but I think they're both absolute marvels at what they do. And they're both prolific and have really experimental, wide ranging, incredibly compelling bodies of work. So I will bring those with me and hope they last. In terms of films, Luca Guadagnino is my favorite director. He did Call Me By Your Name most recently, but... Two of his previous films, I Am Love and A Bigger Splash, are two of my absolute favorites. So I'm going to throw those in the bag. 
right. <laughs> so I've seen Call Me By Your Name, but I haven't seen those two. So now they're on my, yeah. Maybe we can watch yeah. it on the return because I've, I've got a little screen on our back from the party. We can pop in a, a film. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> And then, okay, other cultural entities, I think there are a few books I want to bring with me. I, one of my favorite books is called Swimming Home by Deborah Levy. I think it's absolutely genius. That's, it was shortlisted for the Booker Prize a few years back, I think. So that's in the bag. And one of my favorite writers is a Nigerian American writer named Teju Cole. He does fiction. He does art criticism. He does. He's uh, an academic by training. He writes amazing essays that are in the New York Times. He's just one of the most incredible thinkers alive today. I think so. Everything he's done is going in is going in the bag. Oh, brilliant! I don't know him uh, at all. Okay, good. Yeah, I'd really recommend him. And I really love A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. That was a book that came out a few years ago and had a bunch of hype but also controversy but for me it's one of the books that has most struck me and i think that will be a classic in future years so that's going into good grab bag okay great i love those picks okay so we're going to bring those when we get there you can pass them out and maybe generate some conversations um, uh, around the party do you do you ever give any thought as to how you would like to be remembered by your descendants Oh man. <laughs> I hope I'm remembered mostly for my work. I think my I have always been a pretty industrious person and you know, despite everything we're learning now about the perils of productivity culture and capitalism, I think I still am someone who derives so much satisfaction from the work that I do and the writing that I do. So I really hope that I will be primarily remembered for my writing. I hope I, that's also kind of the the kick in the pants to really start pursuing those creative projects more fulsomely. So I would, I would hope I'm remembered for that. Can you tell me a bit more about the book that you wrote? Cause you had a, a, a book that was published last year. Yeah. So it's called the beer lovers table. It's a cookbook primarily. So there are a few different strands to my career, but food writing and, and beer writing are, are two of the big ones. So this book kind of brought those together. It was an outgrowth from the column I write for Hot Burns and Black, which is of the same name. And the premise was basically how to pair beer with food, because I think a lot of people assume wine is the thing you have to drink at the dinner table, or if you're going out to eat, it has to be wine. And for many people, beer is just, you know, the thing you drink at the pub or at parties or when watching the game, but it's not something serious. But for me, beer is such a a huge, vast world that has so much artfulness and complexity to it. There's such huge range and variety and beer is a natural with food. So I, I, it's sort of my attempt to change the narrative around what beer can be and what it can do. And the book Mm. is sort of demonstrating that, you know, it's a very eclectic range of recipes. There's everything from, you know, Indian spiced fried chicken to, you know, pizza to mango prawn curry to, you know, on and on and on. And no matter what you choose, there's going to be a beer that can go with that. So it's sort of demonstrating that concept. Can I ask you, so this kicked off 2269 because of an invitation that was sent out in 2019, an invitation that was passed on from one generation to the next over 10 generations until this party just slowly kind of percolated and then became a reality. 
what are your thoughts on uh, 2269, the project? I, I'm really yeah. optimistic about this thing. I really hope it does get passed on almost like a, you know, a Willy Wonka golden ticket or something. Like there are only a few in the world and you've got one, yeah. but I am. And you've got one. And I've got one. Yeah. So I was very excited about that. I really hope it happens. Mm-hmm. I'm not clear on who I will pass mine to at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't have children and I don't know if I will, but mm-hmm. you know, Whatever happens, I I will want to keep it handy and make sure I can give it to, you know, maybe a niece or nephew or, you know, Mm -hmm. child of one of my friends. Either way, Mm -hmm. I want to be very intentional about that and and pass it on quite actively. And I Mm. hope that other people do the same because I I really want this to happen. (laughs) I know I can never be there, but, you know, I, I hope that in whatever future world we're in after we die, maybe we'll have some awareness of it. I really hope it happens. Is there someone that you admire that's living today that you'd love to, uh, to have, to have them have an invitation? Oh, wow. I don't know this person, but Annie Clark, who is the musician who records under the, the name of St. Vincent. Vincent. Yeah, mm. she is. I think she's a futurist in a lot of ways. I think she's, she's very experimental and very mm. creative. So it strikes me that this is the kind of project that would appeal to her sensibility. And I think she would find it pretty cool. So I, I would love to give her an invite. That's a great pick. I know that she's also collaborated with David Byrne, mm-hmm. who's uh, one of my all-time heroes. Oh, great. Um, David Byrne almost walked in on me in the bathroom at a, at a restaurant in London a few years back. That's my David <laughs> Byrne story. <laughs> That's a good claim to fame. Yeah. Uh, when you say almost, what happened? Uh, oh, he was kind of rattling the door, but then I came out and it was just a little one room bathroom in the basement of this restaurant. So there's no one else around. And then I opened the door and it was David Byrne. <laughs> and uh, he was like, oh, there was someone in there. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that's maybe the last person you'd expect to see outside the bathroom. As it you was, exit. It yeah. was very surprising. I think I just kind of you know, I don't know if I even said anything, just uh, 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 kind of stupefied. Yeah. 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 But it was a cool, (laughs) cool encounter. (laughs) So we've got only got a few more minutes until we land, Claire. We're going to head to the biggest party of all time. What kind of party would you hope that we arrive to? Like what makes a great party? What's your picture of 2269? Wow. A good party, I think has to I, w- I want it to feel abundant. I think when you arrive at a party and it feels like there is endless possibility, that's the one of the most exciting feelings. So when we walk in, someone places an incredible drink in our hands as soon as we're in the door. Maybe I would love it if there were lots of different themed rooms or sections, each with their own kind of vibe and atmosphere. So you could kind of choose to move between worlds. I can only imagine that since it's 2269, there's going to be a lot of technology that we can't even begin to imagine, but I'm sure there'll be virtual (laughs) parties and music piped in directly in your brain and all kinds of things like that. So that's (laughs) going to be pretty rad. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And ideally, I guess it will be a room where there's enough people, you know, so when you arrive, you don't feel uncomfortable, but then there Mm -hmm. are new people that you can meet too. So you have that excitement and novelty, but you also have that comfort and familiarity. That for me is what makes a good party. Okay. So you're (laughs) optimistic about um, this party. It sounds like it could be a great time. I think you're going to be a great uh, partner at this party. All right, Claire, can you feel that? We're just landing. Hold on tight. (laughs) It's getting bumpy. Oh God. Getting bumpy. Okay. We're coming in. 
uh, we traveled a couple of centuries and a half uh, to arrive. And look, let me look at the time. Hey, look, it's just almost, it's 1157. We're, we haven't missed a thing. The party starts at noon. We got all afternoon, all night, the biggest party of all of our lifetimes. And I'm excited to be here with you. So, okay. As we land. Oh man, my ears are popping. Yeah. You can feel his ears popping before we open the doors. Let's just take a second to kind of gather our thoughts and let's have a, let's just a drink you and I, because once we open these doors, there's a whole other world out there and all kinds of people and whole different scene. So just you and I, let's just have a moment to make a toast. So did you bring a drink? I did bring my drink. I've got a can here of it's, it's by a, a Czech brewery called Vina Radsky Pivovar. It's their uh, Czech Pilsner or Svetli Lezak. And it's one of the beers I've been enjoying most. So I made sure to bring one with me. I'll pour it now if you'd like, so you can kind of see yeah. see the visuals. But it's very golden. You can kind of hear that. It's really frothy. It's it's uh, Czech pilsners are famous uh, for having this kind of butterscotchy, uh, buttery quality to them, which is from a compound called diacetyl. Um, we've got this kind of lovely, toasty, caramelized kind of body. Um, and yeah, the checks pour it with a really big head of, head of foam on them. So you want that too. Why do we want that? Why do we want the froth? Uh, well, you have that textural contrast, but also you have all those, uh, aromatic compounds that are in the froth. So you really get the aroma of, of, uh, you get the, the Saz hops, the kind of classic Czech hops, which have that sort of herbal floral character, but then you also get that delicious butterscotchy flavor of the malt as well. And that all kind of lives in the head. Wow. And then the visual is just kind of like the platonic ideal of what a beer should look like. <laughs> yes, like golden sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if I could ask you to make a, a toast to your descendants and before we head out into the party. Yeah. So I was actually thinking I might read a brief poem if that's okay. I think this poem kind of captures the newly optimistic frame I've been in. So I thought it would be appropriate. It's called Better Days Are Ahead by Miguel James, who's a Venezuelan poet, and it's translated by Anne Boyer. Better days are ahead. The days of the child musicians in tune with the parks. The days of the orbiting earth and other meetings like kisses. I say better days are ahead. Days with cigars and beautiful women. Days of brides like flowers. Better days will come. Days without hate or war. Days of moon and sun. The days fiery red candles will come for dinner. Happy days are coming. Seas and friends will come. The sun rays speak of the day. I mean the day of the next big star. They say better days are ahead. The dream day will come. The days of marvel are to come. Legitimate police. Days bright as fire that sound like thunder. Days of angels and guitars. Days of metal trumpets. Better days are ahead. Do not be discouraged. The days of paid debts and banquets of grapes will come. The days like circuses will come. The tamed lions and elephants and hyenas will come. The days of the peaceful jungle will come. A long trip of days like song. The vast Nile now a furrow. The days of liquid flames, of flying men, of galaxies, of women who will come as the night. 
Love that. Claire, that's a perfect choice. Angels <laughs> and guitars. Wow. I think that's all going to be at the party, to be honest. Everything that he mentioned there. I sure hope so. I think we got that ahead. Wow. That's so, I'm really moved by that. It's a I really good poem, gorgeous- right? And perfectly in keeping kind of with 2269, that kind of wild vision of like, you know, look, it, 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 you know, it can be lots of things. What do we want it to be? Yeah, I think it sounds weird to say that the pandemic has maybe made me a little bit more optimistic because obviously it's been a very dark year in so many ways. But I think Hmm. I'm deriving my optimism from the fact that the, the world is so vast and unpredictable. And in a way, pessimism is sort of easy. It's it's almost like a security blanket. It's easy to believe in one like clear linear narrative of things getting worse or bad things happening. It's a very safe yeah. bet to make. But yeah. as things like this come along that are so unforeseen and unexpected and which shuffle up everything, it's like, you know, our whole Monopoly board game has just gotten flipped over or something by this year. So yeah. in a way that I've I actually like perversely maybe derive some optimism from that because this linear supposed truth of pessimism of ever worsening conditions is, is maybe not so straightforward after all. There's so many things we cannot ever possibly foresee. So in that, I actually derive a little bit of hopefulness that this I've, I have been a pessimist up till now, but I think actually there's a little bit of breathing room in this thing that I didn't think was there before. Claire, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Let's open these these doors up, but here's the better days ahead. Here's the better days ahead. Cheers. And that's it for this episode of 2269. My big thanks to my guest, Claire Bullen. Claire, where can people find you online? So I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Claire M. Bullen, and you can find my work at goodbeerhunting.com as well. And also, uh, your book is certainly available on Amazon. Can you give that a quick bit? Yeah. So my book is called The Beer Lover's Table, Seasonal Recipes and Modern Beer Pairings. Uh, You can buy that at Amazon, at bookstores, and you can buy it directly from Hot Burns and Black, too, which is the South London bottle shop and beer retailer that I wrote it with. So they should sell it on their website as well. And for that prawn and mango dish recipes. Exactly. You'll find that prawn, mango, curry, and everything else in there. There's 65 recipes, so plenty to choose from. Perfect. Claire, thank you so much. I've really loved spending some time with you and hanging out and hearing your story, the past, the present, the distant future. I hope you had a good time. Oh, it's been great. My first time machine experience has been a success, I'd say. (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) Here's to more. Thanks, Claire. Bye. Bye. We've got all kinds of great guests coming up in the next episodes of 2269. They'll make you laugh. They may make you cry. They'll help us all look forward to the future. Episodes come out every month. We hope you join us. Please subscribe to 2269 on any of your favorite podcast apps. This is a production of 2269. For all news about the project and to get your own invitation to the greatest party of all time, please visit us at 2269.co. And to get in touch, you can email us at team at 2269.co and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, social media at 2269OneDay. This podcast has been created, edited, and hosted by me, Michael Ogden. Executive producers are myself and Peter Dean. Thanks for listening. Take care out there and see you next time on 2269. Put it up. Keep it up. 
pass it on. <laughs>